continue our series. Now what? A series on growing with God. And as I already mentioned to you, you knew that we were going into this. So if you're here, um, it, you're, it's full game to hear about fasting. Because I warned you outside of maybe Josh and Jada. I warned the rest of you. So you know what's coming. And, uh, and everybody else, they'll be able to tune in later. Um, but in order for us to truly understand the need for denying our flesh and drawing near to God, uh, we first must understand the spiritual world in which we live. Because if it's just, hey, a hunger strike, if you're, in, if you're into fasting just because I heard that it's a good way to lose weight, you are not going to get the full benefits of fasting. It is not to lose weight. This is not a medical procedure getting ready, you know, to go and see the doctor tomorrow so you're fasting. No, it is a spiritual decision and sacrifice. And so that's what we're covering tonight. And the topic is fighting back with fasting. Let's just pray that God would speak to us, speak through me. I'm a little discombobulated, so let's just pray that God's will is done here tonight. Jesus, we love you, Lord God. I just am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are on the throne, that you would do all things well, that you have been doing great things. I believe that we've entered into a season of revival, blessing, and great, great things ahead. Lord, you've already been doing amazing things, Lord Jesus, and I pray, Lord, that you would just touch every heart and mind, that you'd speak through me. Let me speak with passion, energy, anointing, Lord Jesus, the anointing that can come only from you, O oh God, and that we could see things in spiritual disciplines here that we will cling to and never, ever release, Lord, so that we can be the men and women you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, every one of us have two people in our lives and one is named flesh, and one is named spirit. Romans 8, starting at verse 5, it says, For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are of the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's read that verse together. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. The scripture clearly separates our world into two categories of people. Those who follow the flesh and those who follow the spirit. One way leads to death. One leads to life and peace. And it clearly states that the flesh cannot please God. The Bible says that the works of the flesh, it goes on to list these things. So we can know. Look at uh, Galatians. I'm reading this New Living just for contemporary English sake. Galatians uh, 5, 19 through 21. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature... Guess what? Every single one of us have a sinful nature. The results are very clear. So here we go. He lays it out. Paul says, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So people that say, well, I can live this way. Ain't nothing in the Bible. And there is. Let's read it. Look at it right here. And I've done this in pre-marriage counseling, in marriage counseling, that, hey, when people come in and they have an issue, 
and they come to see me in counseling, you will often find that it is one of these things. Sexual immorality, lust, uh, a dissension, drunkenness. My, my spouse is drinking too much. There's quarreling. There's jealousy. There's outbursts of anger. They don't control their temper. Physical violence. And so we see these things that happen. And all these things happen because we're in pursuit of what? Well, often you'll find that human beings are in pursuit of pleasure, acceptance, peace from anxiety, feelings of insecurity, helplessness. We want to feel love and we want to be happy. And so we find the very things in what, what will people look for? Sex, drugs, alcohol, parties, clubs, whatever it is. But eventually you wake up and you have to start all over again because you find hopelessness, fear, anxiety, bitterness, insecurity, boredom, depression, and they always come back. And what we're missing is the very thing that God says to look for. He goes on and says, hey, the works of the flesh are this. And he, li he lists them all out. Now he says, the works of the spirit are this. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, go to marriage counseling even. What are the issues that people come in and they have a problem with? The works of the flesh. What are people really looking for? The work of the Spirit. I just want to be loved. I just wish he'd stop screaming. I just, I just wish that, that, that there'd be peace in our relationship. I wish we could just be happy. I wish she'd be kind to me. Well, what are people essentially saying? We need more of the Spirit in our marriage. So really... The good old-fashioned, oh, you just need to pray through. Well, that's a, that's a good place to start. That's a good place to start. And he says, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. We talked about this in our small group yesterday, that there's not like a compartment for, for work. Compartment for marriage, compartment for friendships, a compartment for church. There's not, uh, uh, what, everything should revolve around the fact that we are children of the king, serving God in every, it flows into every other facet of our lives. And so Romans 8, 6 says, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Out of the people in your life that want, make no mistake, the devil wants, the devil wants to kill you. Devil wants to destroy you. He wants you to feel hopeless, insecure, helpless. You got nowhere to go. And God's here today doing everything he can to get our attention to say, hey, where does lust and sin take you? Where does the works of the flesh take you? Romans 8, 12, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Wow, that's freeing right there. Because when people say the devil made me do it, there is nothing the Bible says in, we're drawn away of our own lust and entice, but yet we don't have to do anything our sinful nature urges us to do. If I sin against God, it's because I have chosen to do such a thing. Oh, but I'm weak in the flesh. Absolutely. So prayer, fasting, some of these things, this is what's going to build that spiritual side. For it says, for if you live by its dictates, you'll die. Very clear right there. People say the Bible's so hard to understand. If you live by the dictates of the flesh, you're going to die. But if you 
Through the power of the Spirit, you have to put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. You'll live. So if I am filled with the, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, I have power to walk in the Spirit, deny the flesh, and, and overcome that sinful nature. Now, it's not ever just one and done. That sinful nature is always, like God says to Cain, if thou doest, well, you know sin lies at the door. There's always this knocking saying, hey, can I come back in? But we have to constantly deadbolt the door, deny our flesh. And how do we do that? Well, we're going to talk about that. Obviously, fasting does that. But the Bible says we cannot serve two masters. We're going to cling to one, hate the other. We can't serve two masters. This is where the church can become seriously misunderstood. There is a, there's, there's no Switzerland in God's word. I think sometimes, in, especially in today's modern church, we have people who are like, hey, I want to go to church. I want to have speaking terms with God. I want to have access to the creator. But I also really don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, if I look a certain way, talk a certain way, worship a certain way, speak in tongues, like I can be really odd. So I, I want to have access to him, but also an open door with them. And so sometimes we hope that there, we can somehow align in the middle, but there's no neutral ground. Scripture says you, you cling to one and walk away from the other. And so many Christians are waiting for flesh and spirit to align in the middle. But in case you don't know, neither the devil nor God ever will make a compromise. Oh, God doesn't compromise. Neither does the devil. They won't compromise and meet in the middle. God does not demand perfection, but he does demand commitment. I got that out of Brother Foster's teaching on Sunday, too. All that there was a constant obedience to covenant. And there's two people that want your mind, God and the devil, two, two outcomes, heaven or hell. And there are two ways in which we'll live. The flesh gets what it wants or we deny the flesh and walk in the spirit. Galatians uh, 5.16 5, uh, says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the spirit wants. Very clear here. Do you see that when you say, well, I'm just struggling to walk with God, the Bible tells you this is going to happen. And that's why we have to deny flesh, walk in the spirit, pray, seek the Lord. It comes back to the very basics. At the beginning of the year, we gave bread Bibles. Encourage people to do what? Read the word. We have really just a, a, a another a recommitment to prayer and fasting. If we're praying, fasting, and reading the word, you're going to find it's a lot easier to do what this passage of scripture is telling us to do. If I'm not reading the word, praying, fasting, and, and coming to church and worshiping with other believers, and you're trying to do things by yourself, you're going to find it's a lot more difficult to do what this passage is telling you to do. It says these two forces are constantly fighting each other, and so you are not free to carry out your good, good intentions. Paul basically says you're not free to do whatever you want. The flesh and spirit are constantly fighting each other. You're not going to just wake up one morning, and I think I, I try to explain this to people, especially new believers who come to a, 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 an altar. They repent of their sins. They're baptized in Jesus' name, and they call me 48 hours later like, dude, I'm still struggling. Like sometimes I think we're like, hey, that water was supposed to do something magical. Like, I was supposed to come out of there, and if I was a smoker, I didn't ever want a cigarette anymore. 
If I used to shoot heroin, I don't want to shoot heroin anymore. I mean, like, there's still, when our flesh and our brain has been trained to think something so long, there is often, now I've heard about people being delivered instantaneously, and God does that. But there are other people that, you know what, part of the process is, hey, I'm going to die daily, like Paul said, I'm denying flesh. I'm learning to let go of some things and cling to some other things. Because if we've trained ourselves so long to cling to something and we need that to survive, Someone who has that addictive personality doesn't do well with an open hand. They have to cling to something else. And so that's where even discipleship takes place as we reach to other people and and walk with them and teach them, hey, cling to something else. Don't try and look back to what you used to cling to. So if we have these two people, flesh and spirit in our lives, the better way, we, we, we got to find a way to make sure that the spirit is strong, the flesh is weak. T.W. Bronze, one of, the, one of the great men of God in the United Pentecostal Church movement since has passed on. But he said, in this generation, there's too much world conscience, consciousness and self-consciousness. To be in tune, we have to away, we get away from the world and self. We cannot think of God and his glory when we're thinking of ourselves all the time. And I told you Sunday morning, Sunday night, that I felt God was kind of giving that to us, that he's wanting to do something great, and he is already doing something great. But it's an invitation, not necessarily a, a, a condemnation, but an invitation to say, hey, I want you to come up higher. But I think in our day and age, and even here touching us in this church, is sometimes we just get so consumed with self, with our own views and problems and issues and schedules and, and everything that we, we have to back away from some of those things and say, okay, God, I want to focus on you more than I've ever focused on you. I want to pray without ceasing, meaning I want you on my mind throughout the course of any day, just in the forefront of my mind, just praying, seeking your face. Matthew sixteen twenty four says, Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That does not sound like an easy task. And so if if we're saying, well, I want to come into church, and I want to let go of all this, and then I want smooth sailing. See, that's the thing is is there's, there's sometimes a cross that we pick up. But he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so he's never going to allow us to carry more than what we're capable of carrying. But yet we, he calls us to this walk, and it's a commitment. He's saying it's time to pick some things up and follow me. Our goal, though, in fasting even, what we're getting ready to go into here, is it's not just a denial of self. It's not just inflicting pain on ourselves. It's a drawing near to God. It's a denial of flesh to draw near to God. It's not just, hey, if I make myself feel horrible today, then maybe God will bless me. And, and, and people who serve false gods of the Old Testament, they would do stuff like that. They would cut themselves and throw themselves in fires and throw their kids in fires and do stuff thinking somehow they're going to earn respect or favors from God. We do not fast because like, oh, hey, I, I got to inflict pain on myself. And, 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 and truthfully, I don't know many people Maybe there's some really incredibly spiritual people here tonight, but I don't know many people that are like, man, fasting is amazing. 
The benefits are amazing. The results are amazing. But I don't know many people that are like, I love that gnawing feeling in my stomach when, like, I'm really hungry and my head starts to hurt. I love that. I remember when I was just starting to preach, I traveled in Wisconsin. And uh, a preacher said to me, I was, I was there preaching for him. He's grilling hamburgers. And I'm just like, dude, give me a hamburger. I'm, I'm starving. And he's like, bro, there's nothing like a good fast. I just love a good fast. And I'm like, maybe I'm not ready to preach because I don't. <laughs> I'm like, I do it. I know the spiritual benefits, of course. But I'm not going to tell you, I love fasting. I mean, there's days where I'm like, because I'll fast once a week. And there's days where I get to that day and I'm like, oh, man, it's my fast day. I was really looking forward to my cereal. Dry, without milk, of course. Um, that's, that's a whole other godly doctrine we can talk about if you don't understand that. James 4, starting in verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. You purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted. What in the world? Cleanse your hands, purify your heart. That's all makes sense. But then be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be torn to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. How, how do you afflict yourself? Again, Old Testament, hey, let's cut ourselves. Let's throw ourselves in the fire. Affli- affliction's not bad. Fasting, though, is a type of affliction that you do to yourself. This is why Ezra, let's go back to the Old Testament, proclaimed at the river of Ahava. He said in Ezra 8.21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before God to seek of him a right way for us. So notice, there is a clear... Connection, afflicting ourselves by fasting unto God. And for little ones and for all substance. And look what happens as a result. Ezra 8.23. So we fasted and besought God for this, and he was entreated of us. So look what happened when you go to the New Testament. A man named Cornelius fasted. When Cornelius meets Peter, he tells Peter how God told him he needed to find Peter. Acts chapter 10, verse 30. Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's Lodged in the house of one Simon the Tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded? I mean, listen, it was during a time of fasting and prayer that God spoke to, to Cornelius. He goes and gets his kinsmen, his family, friends, people around him, he brings him to his house. And when Peter gets there, he says, hey, we're all here because why? Because I was fasting and praying. God spoke to me and told me to get you and have these people here. So Peter, end up pre- he ends up preaching and teaching Cornelius and his household. And the Bible tells us that salvation came to his entire house. And why did that happen? As a result of prayer and fasting. When you study the revivals of history around the world, you will find that, that, that they all began with prayer and fasting. Topeka, Kansas, Azusa Street. Not just Bible times. People got together and they had red hot prayer meetings. That's why on Sunday night, I said, 
I want the culture of this church to change. We had an incredible prayer meeting on Sunday night, but I know that the thinking around here is that, hey, we need to be at church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Prayer meetings, we try to get to, but they're optional. I want that to change. Prayer meetings, you know when you know you're in revival? When the prayer meeting is the most important thing to be at. Because, because if we're saying, hey, I'm making it a priority, that is a priority to be in connection with God, with the people of God. It's not just a, an, an optional extra. We've got to make prayer such a priority, and I believe that we're well on our way. I think we had like close to 60 on Saturday, Sunday night. So it was awesome. But um, when you study these revivals, though, like I say, Topeka, Kansas, Azusa Street, it started with red hot Prayer meetings with people fasting, seeking the face of the Lord. Fasting intensifies prayer. A person who combines fasting and prayer shows that they're very serious about their petition. It's to withdraw from natural pleasures and, and spend time soul searching, seeking God. It's a time to draw near to God with an all-out effort. Fasting is to humble yourselves before the Lord. Look what David said, Psalm 35, 13. But as for me, when they were sick... My clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned to my own bosom. Some modern people will say that fasting is not necessary. It's not, but, but that's not even biblical, because when you go to the New Testament, even, even Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, 27, the Bible says he was in fastings often. So when we, we got to understand that it was the most basic part of the Judeo system, and it was considered a very basic part of their service to God. It was not something that was new age or even that was released in recent years. Look at the way that Jesus refers to fasting in the New Testament. He says in Matthew 6, 16, moreover, when ye fast, don't be like the hypocrites of a sad countenance who disfigure their faces that they might appear to men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Notice though, in all his instruction there, it starts with when ye fast. He, people say, well, then why did Jesus not do in-depth teaching if this was such an important part of Christian values? Because a statement like that says, when you do this, it was not just an expectation. It was an obligation. He fully expected anyone who walked with him, served him to be doing this. That's why he did not say, hey, guys, I got a new idea. We need to fast. It's where you deny yourself. No, he just said, hey, when you fast, do it like this because it was such an expectation. He didn't just condone it. He expected it. He definitely expected fasting. You look at the, the disciples once he left them to reach the world. When a demon-possessed boy was brought to Jesus, the same boy that the, the, the disciples unsuccessfully tried to cast out the demons, Jesus cast out the demons immediately. Later, when the disciples asked Jesus, why are, we, why are we not able to cast them out? What does he say? This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Fasting also helps to remove unbelief. Why? Because you know what? Our flesh says miracles are not possible. Miracles are not possible. And the flesh is right in thinking that. 100% correct. Miracles aren't possible. Not in ourselves. But when God steps in the picture, 
But when we have a supernatural God that we begin to intercede and request prayer and God steps in, the Bible says with God, all things are possible. Nothing will be impossible. And when we fast, we are denying the side of us that wants to talk about how things are impossible. We're drawing nearer to the spirit of God that says, with me, nothing's impossible. So humanity is saying, this is impossible. This is not probable. I don't think this is going to happen. I deny this side of me, draw near to the God who I know says, I can do all things. Nothing is po- nothing's impossible. If we want miracles and power with God, we better be praying and fasting. Why is this? Because we don't just live in a physical world. We live in a world with the spiritual realm. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." This tells us we live in a very spiritual realm. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So this is talking about strongholds and wrestling. It's talking about people who are a spiritual realm that we live in. I I don't want to take this lightly. I, I can even see some people now on their cell phones. I know that I know that some people they they take this lightly, but I don't want to take this lightly. We live in a spiritual realm where there is a war on for our souls. Literally, right now, there's nothing the devil wants more than to destroy you, defeat you, get rid of you, knock you down, leave you there. I don't want to take that lightly. No, what the leaders of the New Testament church did after they received the Holy Ghost, what they did when they wanted to find God's direction on what to do next, what's the next step. Acts 13, verse 2, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had prayed and fasted, they laid their hands on them. They sent them away. So being sent of the Holy Ghost, they departed. See, before, and, and what did Barnabas and Saul go do? They went and just started to plant churches all over the known world. They had the greatest revival the world's seen up to that point. But how did it start? It started in a prayer meeting where fasting was going on and then they said let's fast again before we lay hands and send them off it was after prayer and fasting that the leaders knew this but the foundation of every single thing that happened in the spirit in the new testament the book of acts we studied the book of acts for a long time and every single aspect of that started with prayer and fasting and i'll make something clear about fasting Fasting does not save you. I had a conversation with someone once. They said, hey, I've fasted all these years. I can't believe God won't hear me. He won't do this. I feel like I've earned it. And I'm like, you got the wrong idea of fasting. That's not, I I don't fast to earn. I can't say, God, I've been fasting once a week for this many years now, Lord. You owe me. I I could fast six out of seven days a week. Be skinnier than I am, that'd be sick, but six out of seven days a week, and I still would never get to the place where I'm like, hey, 
I earned my way into heaven. There's nothing that I can earn from God. Fasting. I can't earn my salvation. I can't ever get to the place where I can say, you owe me. Some people have that mindset. Fasting, fasting in itself does not save you. We are only saved by the grace of God, our faith in response to his grace, and then our obedience to that grace. We can never be good enough or fast enough to earn something. We won't gain more blessings, but fasting does do this. Fasting changes humankind. Fasting changes me. Fasting denies my flesh. Fasting allows me to hear his voice clear. Fasting also does move God based on what I see scripturally. Fasting gets God's attention. Does it get to the place where I say, you owe me? No. But can I, when God sees me in petition and praying and fasting and denying flesh and saying, I'm fasting for this need, God. I'm trying, I want your attention, Lord. Please hear my cry. God is moved by that. And so I don't think, yes, hey, if you have a special need, should you ever fast for that need? Then, yeah, that's fine. But should we also be fasting on a weekly basis? Yes. Every single week, we should be fasting something for a period of time. Because you know what happens if you don't? Your flesh just starts to just get in control because we're sleeping and eating and entertaining ourselves and doing all these things. And if we're never doing something where we're saying, I'm denying it, not to inflict pain, but to say, I'm setting this day aside to deny my flesh something that it enjoys. That's a big key. Okay. Because I'm telling you what, I am on a 35 year fast from, from refried beans. (laughs) And I plan on continuing that. So, not really a fast. I mean, not a fast at all. It's got four strikes against it. Smells bad, looks bad, tastes bad, and the texture's bad. That's four strikes. And I know some of you think I'm teaching false doctrine, but, but I'm just being real. So, now if you tell me you're going to fast filet mignon for 35 years... Heaven help me. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't, man, oh, man. So, so we're, we're, we fast something that says, hey, my, I take pleasure in this. My body, my flesh enjoys this. But I deny that. I replace that with time with God. Because you know what? If you're fasting that food, which if you're physically capable, there's something about fasting food rather than just like, I'm going to fast Facebook, which I think is also a great thing. But I think that there should be added. If you're physically capable, there's something about saying, I am not eating a meal. My meal is going to be spiritual. I'm going to get in the word. I'm going to seek God. Because, you know, every time that your, your stomach goes, you're going to be like, oh, that's right, Jesus. My mind, that's right, God, I'm fasting today. Lord. See, you train your body to pray without ceasing. Sometimes your prayers are going to, Lord, help me get through this day because I'm so hungry. Okay, so, but it increases. Fasting is a, it's denying your body uh, some form of pleasure, usually food, and replacing it uh, with something that you would normally not partake in at that time, which is maybe prayer. And so you'll see your level of spiritual awareness 
it increases because as I deny flesh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a lot more sensitive to the spiritual realm. And so, in addition to all kinds of, see, God begins to show you things, and even in fast, that he'll begin to show you things that he wants in your life and things maybe to take out. In addition to all the, the spiritual benefits, there's actually a ton of physical benefits from fasting. I know some of you have already, yeah, losing weight, that's one. But fasting centuries old, it's, its practices are referred to in the Bible and in the writings all, all the way back in Homer. In Egyptian temples in Greece and throughout the Mediterranean world, it was a medical remedy for certain illnesses. It was also practiced by Arabian physicians during Europe's medieval age and by Hippocrates 400 years after the birth of Christ. Early Egyptians believed that a three-day fast would preserve good health and youthful appearance. To prepare themselves for a more contemplative and creative mood, Russian icon painters fasted at least one day before painting. Great Greek philosophers fasted uh, Pythagoras, the mathematician, purported that fasting enhanced mental faculties. He fasted 40 days at a time and urged his students to do the same. Socrates and Plato enjoyed 10-day fasts, claiming that fasting helped them achieve climactic experiences in meditation. Biblical Hebrews fasted during times of mourning and peril. They also fasted to express gratitude for God's compassion and sparing them danger, uh, punishment, catastrophe. On the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement remains a day of fasting. Both the Old and New Testament leaders fasted. Moses, Elijah, Christ fasted 40 days for divine revelation. So when we say, ah, oh, fasting is just not biblical. You don't, you don't only not understand the Bible, you don't understand history. Some of the greatest minds of the world have believed in this and clung to this for centuries upon centuries. But see, today, it's not as popular. Why? Because we live in a society that is very much focused on self and not denying ourselves anything. But society shouldn't form us. We should work to form society. You look, there are no less than 74 references to fasting in the Old and New Testaments practiced by Apostle Paul, disciples of John, Christ, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Elijah, the New Testament church, Nineveh, Saul of Tarsus, Ezra, Pharisees, Daniel, Anna, Hannah, Moses, Jehoshaphat, uh, Esther, Isaiah, Joel, David, Zechariah. I'll go even as, to, as far as to say this. Read through the book of Acts. They fasted for revival. They fasted for God's direction. They fasted to not deny their flesh. They fasted when it was time for a big decision. If we're making big decisions... Hello, tonight, online, wherever you are, if you are making big decisions and not doing it in prayer and fasting, you're not apostolic. Based on what I read in scriptures, well, I'm going to move here, I'm going to take this job, I'm going to go to a different church, whatever it is, hey, these are big things. There should be prayer and fasting in every major life decision. George Washington, look through history again. George Washington and the Assembly of Virginia proclaimed a national fast day on June 1st, 1774 to avert a possible crisis with Britain. Oh, we're not a nation. We're not a Christian nation. Yeah, we were founded as a Christian nation. During the tenure of the next president, John Adams, the United States faced certain war with France, and Adams proclaimed May 9th, 1798 as a day of solemn humiliation, fasting, and prayer to avoid war. 
The fourth president, James Madison, also announced a resolution for a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer during a war with Britain. Abraham Lincoln called for three separate days of national humiliation, prayer, and fasting during the Civil War. Fasting has been taught, believed, and come out tried and true through the history of our world. And God's so wise because he doesn't just do bring spiritual benefits. He brings physical benefits. When the intake of food is temporarily stopped, many systems of the body are given a break from the hard work of digestion. Energy that was used for digestion can now be used in other areas of body and mind. The extra energy gives the body the chance to heal and restore itself, and burning stored calories gets rid of toxic substances stored in the body. I got to be careful. I'm getting all into this body. So the last time I taught this class, we didn't have a ton of medical people. Now we got like 16 nurses, okay? So I got to make sure I got my I's dotted, my T's crossed, and uh, people might think I'm teaching false doctrine. Some of you already think that because of refried beans, but <laughs> the first day, the first few days of a fast, uh, I think you're going to get ready to say amen here. The first few days of a fast are the hardest because our bodies crave normal intake of food. Amen? If you don't know that, you have not fasted in a while, okay? The hunger pangs are just, like, you just, you feel like you're going to die. You're just starving when you get to that second, that third day. But God made our bodies to adapt and naturally compensate for survival. When ketosis begins around the third day of a fast, see, some of us, we never try to get that far because it's so miserable in the first couple days. But ketosis, a thing called ketosis takes place, and it's at that point when the fast, that sensations of hunger generally start to go away, and many people experience normal or even increased energy levels. Many people quit their plan to fast in the first day or so because they feel like they're hurting the body. When we fast, we'll find out how many toxins are in our body in the first 24 hours. Going to fast? Do nothing but water for 24 hours. You will find how many toxins are in your body. A lot of people get headaches. People say, I got to stop. I have a headache. My body's not cut out for this. No, that means your body probably needs it more than ever. Because those headaches, it's that, those, those toxins, and sometimes you feel sick to your stomach, might even get diarrhea. In her book, When You Fast, Sister Joy Haney says that if you get headaches when you fast, it means just one thing. You need to do it more. Ah, some of us are like, man, there goes that idea. <laughs> what does she mean by this? Well, when we experience the extreme discomfort, and that's, and again, this is principles for life. I really want this to be very practical because I don't want to just get excited and go, fast, we got to fast, woo, and everybody leaves and they're like, I don't even know how. So I want this to be incredibly practical teaching. Um, the extreme discomfort in the first 24 hours of a fast, it's simply because of the amount of toxins that are in our body. So when we have terrible headaches, it means that we need to fast more or even longer to let the ketosis process begin. This way, our body will naturally rid itself of these toxins that are causing pain and discomfort. And in a nutshell, the body is using its own wisdom, the way God developed it, to healthfully reorganize itself from the atomic level of our internal makeup. We just want to make sure about two things. When you fast, drink lots and lots of water. 
Don't fast everything and be like, three days, no food, no drinks, no water. You're going to die, okay? Drink lots of water. It'll help keep you hydrated. It flushes toxins from your system, and it helps with the headache. If you're getting a headache, start chugging water. And don't try to do extremely strenuous activities on an extended fast. Like if you're in a basketball league, don't play in a 40-minute basketball game on your fourth day of the fast. Not a, not a good idea. How to go into and come off a fast. Fast must be entered and exited uh, with care. I knew one pastor who was like on a 40-day fast and came off. Guy almost killed himself. Okay? So specifically talking about extended fasts, you have a one-day fast. I don't celebrate. Go ahead. Eat your pizza. But 40-day fast, even a seven-day fast, not a, not a good idea. Um, to enter a fast, the diet should be gradually lightened over a few days. I'm sharing this, these, this next little few moments of information because some of you are going to be like, oh my goodness, not there yet. That's fine. Everybody's at a different place in their walk with God. Some of you are here. Some of you, God is going to challenge you and you've been walking with God long enough and you've been consistently doing these smaller fasts. God is going to call you to something more extended. First, heavy foods such as meats and dairy products should be eliminated for a day or two. That stinks, I'll tell you that. Grains, nuts, and beans should then be reduced. I've already got a heads up on that one. Um, for several days. The day before a fast, only easily digested foods like fruits, light salads, and soup should be eaten. Eaten. During the fast, only pure water and occasional herbal tea should be drunk. You start to feel miserable. Um, you can try the pure water, the herbal tea, maybe a fruit juice. Do not drink coffee, soda, or milk. Some of you coffee drinkers are like, that's it, I'm done, ain't happening. Some of you for coffee, just that, that in itself is going to feel like agonizing. But coffee... Soda, milk on an extended fast are your worst enemies. It will mess you up. Fasts should be ended as gradually as they're entered, going from lighter to heavier foods. The diet after a fast should emphasize fresh, wholesome foods. Fasters should particularly take care not to overeat, because I know you're like, woo, yes. Brad's like, we're going to Golden Corral, you know. No, I'm just kidding. And... <laughs> Inside joke, inside joke. We forced him to go a time or two. <laughs> so you might say, we're going to Golden Corral. Don't do it. You're going to make yourself so sick. You know, even if it is the chocolate fountain, you're going you're gonna to make, <laughs> make yourself sick. You'll begin to find a clarity of mind. God will impress thoughts on you to speak to you as you're denying flesh, sensitive to the spirit. Do, during your fast, devote lots of time to Bible reading. You're still feeding yourself, but you're feeding spiritually. The bread of life. Don't forget to pray during your fast or it's a hunger strike. There's a difference between a fast and a hunger strike. Pastor, I went seven days without eating any food. Man, how was the prayer life? Well, I was supposed to do that too? Well, that's, that's a problem. Fast and pray goes hand in hand. The safest way to avoid sin and have victory over sin, the devil, and temptation is making your lifestyle mirror the things we've been talking about. Establishing regular prayer. Reading a portion of the Bible every day. 
denying flesh, fasting something every single week. If you're here tonight, no raising hands, no anything like that, nobody's trying to embarrass, but if you're here and you are like, I don't really remember the last time I fasted, you're missing out on a huge component of your spiritual walk. And in, in, in that, that flesh, it just starts to rule and reign. And, 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 and this is a constant weekly reminder, psst, you're not in control. No, 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 no. You're not in control. So people will fast different things. Media, social media, whatever, entertainment, television, movies, whatever, whatever it is. But I think it's good if you're physically capable to fast something. And if you say, man, I've never fasted in my life. You know what? And I don't, I caution you, don't get too pumped. You're like, yeah, whoa, tomorrow, seven-day fast starts. You want to, if you've never fasted, start off with a 24-hour fast. See how you handle that. Maybe just cut out all sugar or something and just eat some whole grains or something. You just got to, you want to make sure that your body responds and, and ease yourself into that. Because I know sometimes God starts dealing with us. Anybody ever pray at an altar and you're just like, God, I promise I'm never doing this. I'm always going to do this. And then we, that only lasts like 12 to 14 hours or something. You're like, man. So we just, we want to be wise. I, I know that some people really have the heart for a seven-day fast, but work up to it. Work up to it. Um, so, here's what I'm asking as we wrap up tonight. I'm asking for us to make some commitments, and it's not going to be a public commitment. I know we said two weeks, let's double our prayer time. I'm not even asking for that. What will it be for you? Because here's the thing. If I asked everybody to fast 30 days uh, 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 from Facebook, some of you are like, what's Facebook? You know? If I ask everybody to fast three days with nothing but water, some of you are like, dude, I haven't ever even fasted a meal. You know, so, so for me, I can't, I can't make this, you know where you are. You know what your sacrifice is. Fasting should not be easy. It should be reminding the flesh, you're not in control. So if you say, well, I'm a diabetic, I can't fast. No, that's, no, no, no that's baloney. You can fast something that you find enjoyable or pleasurable. Somebody has already contacted me and said that they're on a 30-day entertainment fast. No TV, no social media. They're just 30 days. Praise God. That's awesome. So what will it be? 30 days of social media? 30 days of entertainment? Or is it going to be a three-day fast? Is it going to be a one-day fast? I'm asking everyone, though, if you're willing to do this, you will start sometime in the next seven days. You will take one day and fast something in the next seven days. Stand to your feet. All right. Man, Amelia's standing too. She's in on this. All right. I just hope for your sake she's not fasting sleep. So, here's where all, we're, 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 we're standing. We're saying, hey, I am doing this. And you know what we're going to be starting here at this church is once a quarter, 
I'm, I'm praying that there will be weekly, regular fasting because it's just us constantly denying our flesh. But in the, in the pulpit, once a quarter, I am going to remind us that there will be a week that I'm going to say, this week is our quarterly three-day fast. So once a quarter, we will go on a three-day fast. And what it'll be, because everybody works different hours, does different things, I'm just going to come and say on a Sunday, and I'll say, hey, this week is our quarterly three-day fast. So any three days this week, because I'm not going to say, let's all do Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Well, you might be like, well, that's horrible for me. I'd rather do Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Well, whatever. In this week, these next seven days, we're on a th- let's go on a quarterly three-day fast. And if you say, I can't fast everything but water, that's fine. You know what your sacrifice is. I think if you start small, though, just a little bit while, you're going to find out, I can do a three-day fast. And so, but we're going to, on a quarterly basis, just as a church, we're just going to be like, we're going to remind ourselves, flesh ain't in control. We are not led by the flesh. We're led by the spirit. We're drawing nigh to God. We're returning to what really matters most. Because as I've said, structurally, we're set. We have great systems in place, great leadership teams. We are, we are so, there's always room for improvement, but we're so ready for revival. Now, we got to make sure we are ready spiritually. Praying, fasting, reading the word, denying flesh. I am not led by my, my, my flesh. I'm led by the spirit of God that dwells in me. Amen. Let's just come to the front. Let's find a place to pray as we wrap up here tonight. And just because you know what? Life is going to happen. You make yourself, hey, I'm going to make a commitment for this fast. Friend comes in town and says, hey, man, let's go to steak. I'm buying. I mean, there's going to be, life happens. But we are making a commitment tonight to say, okay, hey, two things. When pastor calls for the three-day fast, I'm going to fast something for three days. But this week, these next seven days, sometime in the next seven days, I will be fasting one day something that my flesh says I like to do. I find this enjoyable. And I'm going to say, nope. I'm going to replace it with prayer. Why? Because we are believers who are going to deny flesh, draw near to spirit, hear God's voice more, be sensitive to him. You're going to start to see a spiritual shift in your life as you begin to incorporate these, this, this personal spiritual discipline. Jesus, I pray, Father, as we wrap this service up, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that the people who are here making commitments, even online, Lord Jesus, who are listening, and that there would be commitments made, Lord God, that if this is not a regular, fixed, weekly thing, Lord Jesus, that we would incorporate it into our lives, Lord, so that, Jesus, that as we deny flesh, as we learn to walk after your Spirit, follow after your Spirit, Lord Jesus, I pray that, that you'd really speak to us here tonight, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, in your name.